Hello and welcome to this Thursday's episode of the 905 Roundup with me, Roland Tanner. I am Joel McLeod. And uh, we've got a couple of stories uh, that certainly affect the 905 region and the first one probably affects uh, more people than almost anything else and that is uh, house prices and um, for the first time in a long time House prices in the 905 region are dropping and dropping significantly, it seems. Yeah. Uh, Joel, you've been following what's going on. Yeah, well, uh, it's you can't not not pay attention to it nowadays because if you follow any real estate agent online, which everyone does nowadays, most of them will point out that you know there used to be houses going for a million dollars that are now being sold uh, you know, for 800000 Um, Is it a huge drop no but it's something that i think people should be cognizant of now i mean this this isn't surprising i mean this isn't something like oh my gosh it's an emergency but um you know that we're maybe we're starting to see the kind of the economy's kind of getting back back uh back level i, I guess is the best way to phrase it i mean i'll start when the bank of canada started raising interest rates so now we're at i believe two percent interest rates uh for the Bank of Canada, which of course means that our, I mean, it, it, what I I'm, I think I'm concerned about with all that is, as housing prices start to fall, uh, the idea is well, made the some of the if you bought a house recently, you know, you might be sitting on a on a lemon, <laughs> unfortunately, which could be a huge problem, especially if you're one of these people who bought it for, oh, it's going to be my retirement nest egg, uh, all you know, a nice little summer getaway, I'll rent it out and make a little profit, and then. Flip it. You might be sitting on a lemon now, um, which is uh, a scary, a scary proposition for for people who are overextended in their in their in their loans. Well, you'd certainly be feeling irritated that you bought at exactly the wrong moment. Uh, and I, I mean, I guess the worst that happens is you, you you can't sell for a year or so. I mean, hopefully, we're not looking at some, you know. Uh, uh, fundamental collapse but more a um i don't think it's gonna be like a 2008 reboot uh that we saw but i definitely think that we're with the with interest rates rising i mean and the other thing was the bank of canada predicting that uh in five years time when people start to renew those uh those mortgage rates you know they're also going to say well i can't afford the mortgage on that million dollar loan that i took out last year or the year before um that's it. That's good. I mean, that, it, it, these are big questions, and especially in the nine hundred five. That that's you. You just know there's a lot of people who are looking at that news and saying, "Oh my God, what am I going to do in five years, or maybe even next year?" Yeah, I mean, it, well, it's bad for sellers, and I guess all you can say is um, the sellers have had it in their favor for a long time. I guess <laughs> maybe this is. This is one way to solve the solve the affordability yeah, crisis. Um, I mean, we've been saying. I mean, we've just come through a historically very unusual and extremely long period of low interest rates that's that's gone on for most of the last twenty years. I think when my parents bought a house back in the sort of seventies yeah. and eighties, they were looking at interest rates of you know over ten percent, um, which seems inconceivable now but then they were also they also bought a house for four thousand pounds 
<laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> so different world, different times. Well, I mean, the thought is that like if you think about it, though, that we're talking about people who bought million dollar homes on, in some cases, maybe less than one percent interest rates, and all of a sudden th- those interest rates are going to climb. I don't think that this is the end of the interest rates going up. I think there's still room that the Bank of Canada is willing to uh, to raise those rates over the next few months, maybe even next year. Um, that you know, that, that's one of those things. I don't. I mean, I don't want it some cause for alarm, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're, this isn't an apples apples to apples situation. This is a, a lot of people heavily heavily in debt, and also those bills are going to be called due really really soon yeah 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 well uh, uh and it you know we have actually it kind of you know interest rates going up is fine if wages go up in line with inflation uh and and you know that's the question we we have the the province currently still trying to lock in uh public sector workers at as as if the 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 change in the inflation rate hasn't happened, um, mm-hmm. and you know, yeah, it, it, it you know if you, if your wage is going up in a, in a in a in a similar way, then 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 you the, the what you can afford will stay the same, and in fact, if prices are coming down a bit, that could be a good thing for a lot of people. But um, but it's 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 yeah for 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 those people who've owned houses for a whole bunch of years and kind of the, the temptation to just assume that this is going to go on forever is, is strong, you know? And, um, when, uh, when times are good, people don't want to think about when they're going to end. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. What I'm, I'm, what I get out of this most is again, I mean, I, I'm not an economist by trade. So a lot of this is I'm, I'm going by what other people have written and what I, I read in the papers. But what I worry about is the political, um, analysis because you know we're going to see a lot of there's going to be over the next four years for certainly um we're going to see a lot of a lot of people nervous really scared uh and a lot of people possibly losing a large part of their nest eggs uh going forward i'm not seeing a lot of action at the definitely at the provincial level not clear at the federal level either in terms of actions to help people navigate through this um because the you know let's talk let's go with the federal liberals i don't i i don't really see any any plans to help help them help, help people go through this I, you know there's there's maybe there will be maybe they're, they're keeping an eye on it they're waiting for the right time to to do a little plan. Who knows? Lord knows they've done it in the past. They, we saw the last two years. They can they can act quickly when need be. Maybe that's what's going to happen. What I'm concerned about is you get people like Pierre Poilievre in the in Ottawa saying, "Oh, we should all switch over to Bitcoin. That's going to solve all of our inflationary problems and whatnot." And I say, "We need real, you know, we need we need real solutions to these very real problems, not this malarkey and hokiness that's uh, coming out." Well, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a man with no uh, apparent moral compass or, or compunction about being a lying piece of shit. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, you know, he's there blaming the federal government for, for inflation that is affecting yep. the entire globe. Um, we've just come through 
the biggest kind of upheaval since the Second World War, uh, I guess. And whether we've come through it, I don't know. But um, we're you know we're navigating it, and and yeah. that was something big enough to change the kind of economic certainties that we've been dealing with since the nineties, really, where uh, for whatever reason inflation ceased to be a problem for about 30 years um perhaps it will go back to ceasing to be a problem i mean the argument was that that you know the the the, the way in which technology completely you know is continually dropping in price because as technology comes along it starts right. off expensive it gets cheaper and cheaper is a kind of counterinflationary uh 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 thing that that just came to dominate our economy and, and counter other things that would uh, go up in price um you kind of feel like well technology hasn't gone away you know so so why all of a sudden its prices i mean you just feel it's just well the, the cost of transporting things the cost of you know goods to market and uh, oh. uh, getting people employees to actually want to risk their lives to go to work uh it has added a whole lot of costs and therefore we're seeing an adjustment so i mean i mean it it could be a good adjustment. Um, I mean, I, I say that gritting my teeth um, as someone you know who, like many people, has 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 an interest in house prices. <laughs> well, I mean, that's not, I, I guess I'm just I'm. I like it again. Is every crisis is a is a moment for opportunity, right? And that, that's I don't know. We yeah. I mean, we, we, I just the. the Falling housing prices are going to help, uh, help. But here's a, here's a question: um, As pr- housing prices continue to fall, continue to plummet, um, I, I, and I don't, I have no idea what the answer to this question would be. But what, how do you think that's going to affect Doug Ford's plan to build, 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 build? Uh, because, I mean, if you thought, if you think about it, the the incentive to build those sprawling subdivisions that we know all of his developer buddies are itching to do. Uh, you know, and how, when the, the price of a simple t- uh, detached h- house for four was going for a million, 1.2 on the, on the open market. Now it's looking at 800 and that price is going to continue to fall. Do you think that that incentive or that, 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 that drive to build is going to be there at the moment? I don't know, to be honest. I mean, you have to reckon that, I mean, house prices are ultimately, much as people talk about supply and demand, the prices have not been entirely connected. I mean, they're related to demand, but they're not directly connected to demand. And they're not, they're certainly not connected to, you know, uh, the bricks and mortar it costs to build a house don't cost three times what they right. did 10 years ago. But, the house might be three times what it was worth 10 years ago. So you, you've got to reckon there's an awful lot, you know, if you're a builder, um, that there's a lot of, um, you know, prices have got to drop a hell of a long way before you start losing money on, on, a, on a development. Uh, but then again, I, I suppose it depends on how much they paid for the, well, for the land but, in the first place. But here's, but here's the thing. Here's the thinking about it. Okay. So the, how much do they pay for the land? Secondly, the cost inflation is forcing the cost of goods. I mean, just the fact that it costs us now two dollars a liter, two dollar, you know, two ten, two fifteen, maybe even two twenty, depending on where you are in the country, to fill up to get your 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 car. 
uh, you know, that's, uh, that's all going to be reflected in the price of goods. I mean, that's the price of building materials is going to go up. Everything is going up. So it's not even a matter of whether, you know, it, it, the plan to build and just to throw it over, open to the developers to build things. Uh, and that's going to solve our, our housing supply crisis. Uh, here, my, I think this, this throws a wrench in it because your inflation is going to cost, your cost of goods is going to go up considerably over the next few years. And if the going rate of uh, buying a house continues to plummet, you know, that, that profit margin just shrinks. It's considerably shrinking, shrinking and shrinking. Uh, is the, is the incentive there for, if I was a developer to go and say, well, yeah, I'm going to go and go pick a fight with cities to go, uh, you know, I'm going to uh, put in my plan for development. And when the city says, no, we're going to ban it. Okay. I want to go to the old, old T and fight it out there. If the process is still going to take two or three years to do it, you know, I'm just, I, I, I wonder if somebody's sitting there doing the math saying, geez, you know, that the incentive just isn't there anymore. We, we can't wait it out. We need to build now when we know what the price of building a house is going to be, not what it could be in a year's time. Uh, that, or I, I think probably what tends to happen in these things is, is that, you know, uh, the, land that was purchased at disadvantageous uh, rates uh, that now have made a development kind of... What you end up is them sitting on land for 10 years waiting for the price to come back up. So I don't don't think it's so much that um, they rush. They can't rush any more than they're already rushing, I don't think. Um, But that you end up with uh, empty lots um, you know, and, and developers already show absolutely no compunction about you know buying a property, letting it sit as a ruin in the center of a city for for ten years right. until they get the right moment to build. I mean, it already happens, um, and it will happen more. And there's nothing really. It seems that there's no way to stop them doing that kind of thing. I mean, again, it doesn't help with with. Uh, affordability or, or it, it can be a real problem you know for cities that suddenly have i mean kind of this is hamilton's problem you know, right. all those parking lots are owned by right. people and those people are generally developers and they're just waiting for the moment when they can stick something on that parking lot but that but now is not the time that they want to build it um and, it, well, that, and i guess that's kind of the problem with you know this oh we'll let the market figure it out approach that the current government seems to be taking it, you know at some point the you know I, I mean, I the carrot and the stick, I guess, is you know only good so much that you have to tell them like no, are that or, or you raise your tax on the on those vacant lots and all of a sudden, you know, all that now it's uh, now there's an incentive to build there. Yeah, um, or at least open them up to to rental accommodation or, or something. You know, while yeah. while if you know if you're going to sit on a piece of land and do nothing with it, then. Well, you can't do that. You need to do something to make it of use or, or, you know, again, taking a hold of some heritage building or something like that and just letting it rot away for a decade or so until it falls down on its own or whatever. Right. These are all the tricks that you use to, to, to get the building you want because when you're dealing with however many millions or, you know, waiting five years isn't really that much of a problem. Well, it's just, you know, we're, we're, We've talked about it like, not, and we're not talking about just housing affordability. We're talking about just decent housing for 
uh, for for the the lower class, you know, like uh, you know the, the the homeless to have something that they can afford to move into, uh, and and whatnot. This is we we've talked a million times on this on this podcast. So it's nothing new. It's just you know this is something we've kind of been kind of paying attention to, and I I don't see right now the current policies being put forward at both the federal and the provincial level aren't really addressing. Uh, the, the housing crisis as it is, and to see that you know the current economic status is just going to exacerbate the problem and really and make a bad situation really really worse. Yeah. Well, I mean, if if you if if both are ultimately, I mean, the, the federal government has put serious money into just actually building stuff. So you know, certainly fair we recognize that. Right. Yeah. However, um, if ultimately. The Canadian solution to housing is is to let builders build according to market and according to demand. Then, then we're going to be stuck with the same problem. And and it's you know, again the 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 crisis is a crisis of affordability for you know lower middle class working mm-hmm. class people, average people not being able to buy or live in in many cities in certainly in the nine hundred five because simply can't afford it. Um. Nothing's really been done to address that, and I again because I think it because for whatever reason in this country we we never consider using government the strength that government has to to to, to leverage property building, um, and and you know again as this, this, I don't know how many times I've said it, uh, but but you know, the market doesn't build affordable housing; it builds slums, um, so. We, if we want affordable housing, we have to build it ourselves. Is is what I keep on coming back to, and you know, in a period of economic contraction, um, that's exactly the kind of project that governments are supposed to. I mean, basically, we saw it with 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 a certain left wing socialist called Stephen Harper when he went on a spending spree to kind of spend us out of recession. Yeah. Now, he put that money into roads and uh, you know, whatever signs, <laughs> blue signs all over the country, um, but. And, you know, actually, that was a liberal policy that he stole somewhat against his will, but it worked for him, you know. Um, and, and the, uh, you know, but another building project that you can, that a government of whatever political stripe you get into is, is, well, rather than building a couple of highways, <laughs> which we don't need, um, you know, uh, affordable, affordable housing projects, you know, and, and, you know, Affordable housing projects earn money. Uh, they're yep. not necessarily they're not money down the drain. This is not giving money away uh, uh, permanently. It's like no, this is you're just becoming a landlord, but the government has the money to yep. to be that landlord. You know what? Why don't we leave uh, the first half on that note? Because uh, I think that ties into what we're going to talk about right after the break, which will be just after this. And we're back. Uh, so when well, we talked about all the problems that are going to be facing us over the next, well, at least four years, we, we expect, uh, due to the economy, what we're going to talk about is, uh, well, it's a, I guess it's a fair, cha- fair chance that we can, after the provincial election, we can kind of do kind of a, a, a uh, post mortem. Is that the right, uh, right phrase to yeah. say that? Yeah. Well, yeah. Certainly there was a death. <laughs> 
it wasn't even so much a death it's much like you kicked the dead body um well i mean like everybody else is doing it uh on the the liberal dismal performance in the last election so you know why lord knows you had two ex-liberals on the podcast right here why don't we give it take a crack at it and lord knows if any liberals are listening to us listen to what we have to say because this is actually probably smart smarter than what you were told going into the election well yeah, I mean, I, I, I noticed that the CBC had an argument, uh, not an argument, uh, an article um, the other day. Uh, Ontario Liberals start soul-searching after second devastating election loss. Um, yeah, absolutely. And halfway down that, uh, it's Mike Crawley who does an awful lot of these kind of um, articles. Um, and about halfway down that article was a quote from uh, Jeff Lehman, who's the former mayor of Barry, I think. Yep. Um and, uh, and former candidate for liberal candidate for Barry. Yeah. Um, came close, but no cigar uh, within about 900 votes of, uh, of winning that seat, which was, uh, you know, and, and Barry was a liberal seat as recently as, well, as recently as 2018, but it last won it in, in 2014, I believe uh, when it was, turned liberal for kind of the first time in a long time. I think it was one of those writings uh, that had been kind of 70 years in PC hands or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but his quote, anyway, was that, um, well, let me just read out what he said, and then I'll tell you why I think it's wrong. <laughs> uh, our challenge now is to restore Ontarians' faith in that centrism, liberal centrism, He's saying, in that fiscal responsibility to be able to speak to the importance of the economy as we speak to the importance of social progress. Um, Lehman said this on uh, TVO's agenda with Steve Pakin. Um, and I think, you know, I, I kind of read that and said, hang on a minute, I was at the leadership um, uh, convention that chose Stephen Del Duca and, and Stephen Del Duca was the right-wing choice. I mean, everybody was like, you know, what we need. And right. I didn't agree with it at the time. Still don't agree with it. And I currently feel extremely vindicated in that belief <laughs> that going right was was the wrong thing to do. Because it's like, you know, across the world, across Canada and across the world, the, the conservative parties poll between 33 and 43% of the vote. Right. So on a, on, a, on a really good day, they'll get to 43. And on a really bad day, they'll go down to about 33. So sure, there's, there's 10% of votes at an absolute maximum that might go to other parties. Uh, I just don't see the evidence in the current climate that conservative votes really move very much. So, But the good news is that that vote is well below 50% needed for a majority of voters. Um the, the votes that move are all on the progressive side with the kind of, you know, pretty much fixed 60 to 70 percent of people who vote for progressive parties at every single election. Um, so I just don't understand this. Oh, no, we're, we're, we're too left wing. Like, no, Stephen Del Duca did not lose because he was too left wing. My God, that wasn't the reason um, no. he lost because he was completely uninspiring, uninteresting and and just didn't, you know, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be rude to the guy, but but he did not grab the imagination of, of anybody very much. No. Um, well, I mean, if you, you, you've seen people have started plowing through the numbers of the turnout, which was the lowest uh, in the history of Ontario. But the, 
the the right now you're just seeing about 17 percent of all eligible eligible electors people who are able to vote 17 percent of them voted for the conservatives which is abysmal when you think of like that's how many people were like it, it that's how many people who are active like i'm going to come out and vote for my my team only 17 percent uh uh supported the, the tories so you think about like 83%, yeah, 83% are left wide open of either they're apathetic. Uh, they're, I would argue they were mostly apathetic to uh, to their to their choices. Now, I mean, when, yeah, when, when after the election, I was conf- I was confused because if, if you remember leading up to the for the two years of the pandemic, Doug Ford was not praised. Like every time that man stood to the microphone, the next day people were vilifying him and just saying, you know, this is bona fide. And we were going from one day, oh yeah, we need to go. We, you know, everything's fine. We're going to make it through. And then the next week, next day, you had Stephen uh, Lecce come up and say, oh no, I got to close down all the schools. We're going to virtual learning because numbers all of a sudden spiked. And it's like, you know, it's this wishy washy kind of wherever the wind blew. And now people are like, this isn't leadership. And I was, and I was, I was sitting there puzzled in my head. I was sitting there going, why, why is it that we're giving this man another, another four years? And I, I, so I asked, I was asking around on, uh, on the interwebs, social media, it is good for something other than yelling at people that you disagree with. But that's what I said. I want to reach out to the people that you may not be liberal or NDP, but if you voted for Doug Ford, I definitely want to know why. And I was reaching out to ask, and the general consensus was that not a, an enthusiastic, yeah, Doug Ford's great. It was the other guys just sucked. The, the other, like the other guys did not talk about anything that mattered to me. Um, at least with Doug Ford, I know what I'm getting, but you know, and, and one thing I, I kept, and I was glad to see I was vindicated on this one, that buck a ride uh, uh, promise. What people saw through that, like, 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 like a, like a window, it was people knew you couldn't afford it. People knew it was a gimmick. People knew how do you how do you make fun of Doug Ford for buck a beer and then you come back with buck a ride? It's it was just tacky and bad bad policy, bad planning, bad platform all around, and that's what only people remembered. You and I sat down, we went through the the, the liberal platform in detail. We said there were some good things in there. There were things that we liked about. It. We had things that we thought why aren't they focusing more on this? That buck a ride was the thing that everybody listened to, and that they. Just, they people said like you're a joke. You're not. You're not taking my my concerns or my the needs of my family, my my livelihood, seriously. And that was the general consensus that I got of it was that people were like this. You know, it's kind of a pox on all your houses. Nobody listens to what what the needs of actual Ontarians are, and that's and what Doug Ford did. And the dangerous thing is that this seems to be a discussion we have after every election, um, federal, provincial regardless and kind of regardless of who wins you know i mean i don't think anyone's gonna be surprised to say that either of us would prefer to see any party but the uh conservatives win federally but but still the last couple of federal elections have been miserable affairs yeah um when nobody nobody apart from i guess a few mpps really (laughs) woke up the next day feeling good about it um, you may have felt some relief um, that it wasn't worse, 
but you didn't feel like, oh, this is great. This is a new day for, you know, and I guess that doesn't come along that often, maybe, you know, but I, I feel the the level of dis- I, th- I still feel like the politicians are underestimating the sheer level of disenchantment and frustration oh, yeah. with the whole political process mm-hmm. from top to bottom, even while they see millions of people staying at home is the is just the tip of the iceberg. But as you see the the increase in in radicalism and extremism, you know that. The Liberal parties, and to an extent the NDP, have lost their working class credentials. We see, you know, not just one, but several major unions now siding with with the PCs. I mean, I think that's appalling, and the unions should be ashamed of themselves, and they're a disgrace. But you know, and so should the other guys. But nevertheless, it says something about the how how working class movements of various kinds have just lost all faith with 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 the parties that are meant to represent them and, and i think you know you can look at history and, and see the examples of this happening and you know the, the place where this kind of thing happened before was you know i know it's a cliche but it was 1930s germany where where you know the the middle of the road moderate guys of the weimar republic just bored everybody to tears and everybody went and joined the communists or the or the, or the nazis <laughs> i mean I, well, i'm simplifying and i'm i'm exaggerating somewhat but there are um really elements of this and i think with the rise of extremism that we're seeing in you know just yeah. really repugnant and vile kind of political movements we're seeing in north america and across the world uh, it's partly down to that collapse of faith in democracy to deliver um, for people, and you know, that it, it doesn't excuse the the right wing nut jobs, no, uh, and well, the extremists of whatever side of the equation they come from. But it, but it, but it does say something about it. But I mean, let's let's face it. Like we're coming, we came off a global pandemic. You know, people whether you, whether you agree with the the, the precautions or not, but people were hurt, scared. Uh, if you had a small business, you're, you're worried about your livelihood. You probably still are. Um, you might be concerned about a loved one uh, and their exposure to to getting ill, or maybe their their expo- their exposure was to getting ill. And instead of us coming out of that being united and ready to take on the the next big challenge, the general consensus out there is I'm on my own. Nobody, nobody's got my back. I can't trust anyone. I'm my, me and my family, we're on our own. And that's a terrifying prospect in a, in a polity, in an electorate that you want them engaged. You want, you want them to, to feel that their voice is heard. And it's one of those things like, you know, we look at, you're right at the federal level, definitely at the provincial level. We saw that people were just saying, nobody speaks for me. No, nobody talks to what I need and what my, what my concerns are. And when we're stuck with that, it, you're right. It leaves the door open for charlatans and hucksters to come in and sell us a bill of goods that, uh, they, they have no plan. It's quick and easy solutions. I.e. Pierre Polyev with his, oh, well, we'll switch the currency over to Bitcoin. And that's going to solve all of our economic woes. No, it won't. It'll, if anything, it'll probably make the situation far worse if you 
read anything on what Bitcoin's been doing the last week, Lord help us. But again, it's just we need big ideas again. And the era of let's let's just, you know, undersell, overperform is over. You need to take a chance and you need to come up with a plan and you by God, you need to make it work. Um yeah. And I, I, I think people, people. I mean, the one thing got me excited at this election, the one policy, and not necessarily the party that brought it forward, but the policy, was the mental health uh, component of the NDP's platform. I thought it was like, okay, that's a big, that that grabs my attention. That that's something that that affects nearly every family in, in one way or another. And they announced it a month or so before the election, and then it kind of they never talked about it again. And it's like, why aren't you using that as like a big selling point? And, and you know, coming back to to, to um, uh, Layman's uh, comment about you know basically you know we're too left wing. Um, I I don't. Can I, can I just okay. jump in? On, can I get just jump in on that? My, whenever I hear that, whenever I hear liberals say, "Oh, we went too left, too left wing," we're too, we're too left. They're like then why do you run for them? Well, yeah. Like yeah. like if, if if they're if they're too left wing for your sensibilities, why did you sign up to run for them? And, and if you look at the candidates, I mean, to an extent, if you look at candidates like former mayors like Layman, um, uh, people like uh, Jason Farr and Hamilton, you know, if if you're saying that that a left wing party is choosing Jason Farr to be its candidate, then sorry, I don't believe you. That is not a left wing message that was being given. That was a. This is like the poster child for let's kick homeless people in the nuts. Um, it's uh, metaphorically. <laughs> I'm not saying yeah. he actually said that, but he, you know, he's yeah. been the poster boy for let's be really unpleasant to homeless people, <laughs> um, yeah. and, and you know. That's not a left wing thing, you know. The, the people they were choosing were the right, you know, people associated with, with at best center right kind of uh, ideas, um, and you know, uh, it, it just and, and I, can't, I can't come back. It's like you can you can you can be as rude about Kathleen Wynne as you want, and you can say, well, you know, she ultimately caused a disaster in the current liberal liberal mess happened because she lost an election in, in cataclysmic fashion. But the last liberal leader to win a majority uh, uh, mandate was Kathleen Wynne at an election where she knowingly Which and clearly yeah, pivoted to the left of the NDP who were in the process of trying to go right because they thought that going right was the way to form a government. Yeah. And she said, no, 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 we'll go left. We'll do basic income. We'll do... You know, um, you know, we'll have bold policies about uh, uh, green uh, energy and cap and trade, and uh, and and by God, she won a majority unexpectedly uh, at a time when people were predicting then that the Liberals were were about to you know uh, head into yeah. uh, uh, into nothing, and it was because she ran very clearly on distinctive policies. I would, now, I would just say, I would just say, you need the Liberals going forward. Focus on what people need. Don't worry about left or right policies. Focus on what they need because they're going. We're going to enter into four years of this. The current government just does not like doing stuff. They don't. 
they they do not like to implement plans unless they absolutely have to. So I would expect a lot, as we said, a lot of fights, a lot of bickering and, and whatnot. Um, uh, ultimately, yeah, actually, I mean, and it's a good point that ultimately Doug Ford has made a virtue out of his complete lack of principle uh, that that he isn't a right wing. He's not a Pierre Polyev. He's not no. a, um, a religious no bigot. He may you know he may be the leader of a party that contains a bunch of but them, he but he but himself he like, is not. Um, he's lazy. He doesn't want to do the work, and he's not. And he's just not smart enough to. But that that appeals to a certain number of people. That well, at Maybe. least he'll leave us alone, you know. Um, and you know, he's not the first government to sort of basically say, you know, we'll be the ones who do the least. So there's something to that. And it, it, you know, in so far as the guy is any two-term leader is is a success. Um, it's kind of that lack of mm-hmm. and the lack of things you can really point at that is that makes them somewhat electable. Um, I just think there's also a huge contingent of people who who, who are looking for something, uh, and in, insofar as they, they they get anything, they get that from the conservatives more uh, as well. That like you know what the conservatives stand for. <laughs> um, what do the liberals stand for these days? What what is you know what makes a we liberal? Shall you know, yeah, we shall it, see. I see we're coming up on our time uh, for this episode, folks. So thanks very much for uh, for listening to us uh, rant, as we often do. Uh, we'll be back on Tuesday. Take care. All right. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, 
Bitcoin and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.